Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Week Ahead on the 4Check show that tells you everything you need to know about the Nashville Predators one week at a time. I'm Evan Smith, a staff writer here on the 4Check, and I'll be your guide through this week's slate of games. Before we go ahead and look at the games that are coming up this week, we should talk about the ones that happened this past week when I'm recording this. Let's go ahead and take a look at the first one of these, Nashville's loss to the Carolina Hurricanes, 4-2. So let's just do a period-by-period breakdown of this to make everything easier, and then I can give my big thoughts on each of these games. But we'll start out of the gate with the Carolina Hurricanes, like I just said. Uh, the Preds kind of came out flat in this game. I didn't really love the start in the first period. They looked a bit sluggish, a lot of standing around in the defensive zone. You, you want to see guys moving their feet more than that. A lot of chasing with the stick and not actively going after the puck. Um, so, so a little bit of a dif- disappointing effort there at the beginning of the game. But everything started to get better uh, as the game went on through that period. Joe Feline started to look pretty good. It was just a lot of towards the end of the period, the Predators struggled to finish in front of the net. They got their chances, even though Carolina had been dominating them in that facet of the game earlier on. Uh, but nobody nobody really managed to put any shots past each other. It ended the period 0-0. Philip Forsberg hit a post in there, but nothing, nothing conclusive, no goals in there. So uh, unfortunate period, but they hung tough. They kept the score even. So not terrible. The second period was pretty boring for the most part. It was a lot of feeling out. And then Nashville came out in like the back 10 minutes of it and started destroying the Hurricanes. And that reflects in the underlying numbers. If you look at the game flow on Natural Stat Trick, where you can see the differential between shot attempts and expected goals, the Predators just take off at that point in the game. And... Yeah, it was it was really beautiful to watch because the Hurricanes are one of those teams where, in terms of analytics, they're usually destroying whoever they're going against by chance generation, expected goals, shot differential, all of the good stuff, and the Predators were beating the crap out of them. So I was I was pretty excited. Unfortunately, Carolina got on the board first. Um, they scored a power play goal off an Andrei Fechnikov shot that went up off of Ryan Ellis's stick and into the back of the net. Nothing that Pekarina could do on that play. He looked pretty good to start this game, by the way. I hadn't mentioned that yet, but looked solid. And then the Predators came back and scored a goal. Beautiful Philip Forsberg goal on a ridiculously good Dante Fabro stretch pass. Uh, if you haven't seen the highlight of that yet, go look for it. It was fantastic. It's maybe the best play that Fabro has made in the NHL so far. This was one of the stronger games I've seen from him. Uh, Lots of smart plays through the rest of this period. Johansson walks it to the net a couple of times, uh, but it's it's a lot of chances but no finish, which is (laughs) becoming a bit of a theme with this team. Uh, But yeah, good period. Um, And the third period was kind of more of the same. Uh, Nick Cousins hits a post. 
the the Hurricanes strike with a goal because they have that plus shooting talent that Nashville kind of lacks. Uh, Vincent Trocek bangs one in, uh, picks off Dante Fabro, and then just dunks it. Nashville keeps playing really hard, but it was it was just one of those games where you're snake bitten. You can't put the puck in the back of the net. That sucks, but you'll have those occasionally. James Reimer had a really good night, um, and the the Preds end up losing. Uh, Sebastian Ajo scores again. Victor Arvidsson scored late in the game to make it 2-3, but the Canes got an empty net goal to put it away. So, solid game from the Predators. Um, much better than I would have expected their first game against Carolina to be, given how they've struggled against this team in the past. And Carolina's a really good roster that has really good shooting talent, um, and they're built to win on the analytical level, and the Predators kind of smoked them there besides the beginning of the game. So, encouraging start uh, in this series. Unfortunately, the second game of the two-game series was canceled due to the Hurricanes testing positive for COVID-19. Luckily, the Predators seem to have escaped unscathed, which is pretty surprising. <laughs> but uh, count your blessings, I guess. That's a that's a good, lucky thing to have happen. Um, if, if I'm just taking away big things from that game, though, um, I, I would probably say that the Preds still have some stuff to clean up defensively um, against teams like Carolina, where they're winning with speed and trying to get the high danger chances. They really struggled in front of the net in this game. Uh, they were pretty good at everything else, but that was an area where you were seeing Pecorino get way too much work early on. Um, he's an older goalie. You don't want him to be scrambling from side to side constantly. There was a lot of that. I didn't really love uh, the showing from the bottom pair that night, um, even though they've looked pretty solid in the earlier games of the season. Uh, just a little bit to tweak there. But overall, solid game. Um, just need a little bit better of a defensive effort uh, going forward from them against teams that play that way. Donnie Faber looked good. Uh, he looked really good. Um he he's not a guy who likes to make a lot of confidence plays so far in his career. He's not a dude who gets really aggressive offensively, and he did both of those things in this game consistently, created a goal with that beautiful pass, and then uh, made a bunch of really good shutdowns at the blue line on entries that the Carolina Hurricanes were trying to pull off. Just a great game from him. The underlying numbers didn't look fantastic for him, but that's one of those things where I use analytics to supplement my analysis. I don't use it to just determine my analysis. And I would say just by the eye test, this is one of Fabro's best games in the NHL. Uh, I I really don't love the fourth line at this point. Um, while I'm watching just the Hurricanes game, we'll talk more about the fourth line later when we're talking about the Dallas games. But uh, I didn't love their performance in this game. Brad Richardson looks a little slow. Um, he's still an okay checking forward and he wins a lot of face-offs, but I didn't love what I saw from him. Um, and I, I liked Olivier, but he, he didn't show out quite as well as he did in the previous game. Um, he was just kind of good. And I, I would like to see Yakov Trenin on the fourth line consistently and being a staple there. Um, but yeah, that that ended up kind of happening in the upcoming games against Dallas, and then we'll we'll talk more about those in a second here. Uh, but yeah, just just solid effort from the Predators. Um, I I liked what I saw in that game. Definitely, if they could re- 
replicate the results that they had at 5v5 in that game and then just improve on the power play and the penalty kill a little bit. Uh, they probably win that second matchup with Carolina. Who's to say if that actually would have happened if they didn't have the COVID protocol stuff going on, but it would have been a good second game to see so that you could kind of determine whether or not them crushing Carolina at 5v5 like that was a fluke or if it was them just being a good team there. Uh, <laughs> let's get into the Dallas Stars next here. That's going to be a little bit more of a downer, obviously, to anybody who's watched the games this week. So Dallas comes into these games having not played at all this year due to COVID-19 protocols. The Stars were missing 17 players uh, and then also missing Tyler Sagan because he's out for the year with injury. Uh, it, It was just a mess for the Stars coming into this game. I talked about last week how even though the Stars are a very good team that should scare the Predators normally, I felt like they should definitely lose these two games or at least one of them to the Preds because the Predators played really well previously against the Columbus Blue Jackets I liked what I saw from them as an overall team um and they're shorthanded so I figured hey we should be able to dominate this team uh because they're missing a bunch of their key players this should be great uh not so not so at all uh the first game final score seven nothing Dallas brutal and the second game final score three two Dallas which happened tonight as I'm speaking to you on Sunday uh Let's, let's just break down the general ideas of both of these games because they were kind of the same story throughout. A little bit different in the first game from the second game. Uh, so game one, Dallas just kind of came out flat and the Predators looked good, which is what I expected, um, playing pretty well at 5v5. However, as soon as Nashville had to head to the penalty kill, everything went to hell. Um, just, just putting it mildly, uh, giving up, I believe it was five power play goals in a game to Dallas, uh, most of which were tip-in goals, was pretty brutal, Um, just an abysmal night from the penalty kill, and it wasn't very helpful that the team kept taking penalties. Some of them were, you know, weak calls, uh, but that doesn't change the fact that they gave up five goals on the penalty kill. You should never be doing that. Uh, I don't care how many penalties you're taking. That's a lot to give up in one game. Uh, in terms of what I saw on the penalty kill, it kind of reminds me a lot of uh, the uninspired stuff that I've seen from some other teams that have had bad PKs in the past, um, where you have guys sitting back in the shell too much. You don't want to get overly aggressive on the penalty kill, but at the same time, if you're providing zero puck pressure, um, eventually teams like the Stars are going to have enough skilled guys who can shoot and pass with touch to get stuff across the middle, make the goalie get side to side, and then just ram it home. And then they also have a lot of those bigger guys who can outmuscle you in front of the net and get tippins, which is what we saw a lot of on that game. So the big the big story here was, you know, the, the penalty kill, obviously. But I feel like this game was deceptively terrible for the Predators because they really played pretty well at 5v5 compared to Dallas. Their underlying numbers were not bad until late in the game when it was already way out of hand. Um, They were playing very well at even strength, which is the most important facet of the game. It is concerning that the Predators got a bunch of power play opportunities and wasted them, um, (laughs) which would become another thing that I can talk about involving the second game. Um, But... Coming out of that game, I was like, all right, that's a, that's a clunker. Those happen. We saw one last year against the Avalanche. We've seen about one or two every year from this team. 
just move on, continue that good 5v5 play, uh, make sure that we're playing better in front of the net, which is something that I was concerned about with the Carolina Hurricanes game. But I was like, these are players who are capable of being better than this. They they played pretty well. They just need to work on the special teams and play a clean game on Sunday, and they'll be fine. Uh, but yeah, getting shut out like that, pretty disheartening. Um, it, it was difficult to cover the recap and really include anything uplifting there. <laughs> it, it was it was just a lot of blech, and sadly watching them get scored on. The the other thing that I'd like to include in there is that a lot of the Dallas goals were kind of puck lucky. Um, some of them were just great by Dallas on offense, but a lot of those tip-ins, I was like, ah, I don't know if they really could replicate those. Um, so good for them for being able to get the greasy goals, but again, I came out of that game feeling like the Predators can win the second game of this uh, sequence here. Not a back-to-back, truly, but two games in three days. I, I, I had concerns, but I was like, ah, whatever. They can bounce back from this. It'll be fine. And then we got today's game which was disgusting to watch um it was even harder for me to watch honestly than friday's game uh which is saying something because at least in friday's game i was like a lot of this is fluky a lot of this is just special teams being bad a lot of this is the team looks better at 5v5 than the other team but they're having a rough night it happens sunday's game was not that Sunday's game was the whole team looked bad minus like two players, which is deeply worrying against a team that has only played now two games um, and is missing a bunch of people. Uh, Eric Holla looked bad in this game. The bottom six period looked pretty bad. The second line had some rough points. Uh, Matthew Shane looked pretty good still. He's looked good for most of the season, but I, I... I worry about that line's defensive capabilities going forward. Um, I'll talk about in a second. The line's kind of got shuffled up late in the game, which seemed to spark the team a bit. But besides the point, the first two periods of this game were some of the worst, like, just worst sequences I've seen in Predators hockey in a long, long time. If you go and look at the underlying numbers, they are Detroit Red Wings bad. Um, the Preds got smoked in the first period by the Stars. Uh it didn't really show up on the shot counter as much, um, but stars come in, get a goal, uh, which is never wonderful to start out with. Uh, I believe is Denis Gurionov who scored the first goal. Uh, lovely player. I would prefer for him not to break my heart every single time we play the stars, but whatever. Uh, the, the big thing here was the second period where the Predators couldn't get a shot on goal for the life of them. And the Stars just continue to pound away at them and just brutalize them, get power play opportunities. They scored a pair of goals, it looks like here. Um, Sorry, my memory is not fantastic. Uh, But Lucas Spiza was in the lineup for this game. He looked terrible, as advertised. But the big concern was the bottom pair uh, looking bad because... Borvietsky looked bad. Um, Matt Benning was out of the lineup for whatever reason. I don't know if that's COVID protocol yet or if it's an injury potentially. We know he got that shot to the hand the other uh, day against the Hurricanes um, that looked like it hurt, but he played that first game against the Stars. Uh, he had a rough game in there, so maybe this is just a healthy scratch situation. 
I would disagree with that because I think Matt Benning is a very good player and Lucas Pisa is not, but whatever. Uh, Borvietsky looked bad for a lot of this game. Um, struggled with some turnovers, made some inexplicable decisions, uh, shot the puck into the opposing team's skates a lot. Um, just not a good game from him. I'm not super worried about that because he's a bottom pair guy and he's been pretty solid for most of the time that he's been here. So I don't have too much concern there, but, uh, he struggled on the penalty kill again. The whole team struggled on the penalty kill again. Uh, Dallas just scoring at will. It reminded me a lot of the Vancouver games that we played last year where they were just dominating us every single time they would get a power play. Uh, the penalty kill has a lot of concerns, um, a lot of things that are very worrying right now, and for good reason. Uh, normally, I would kind of look and be like, ah, I'm, I'm watching the game, and I see guys not being aggressive enough, but I'm like, it's just my opinion, it's my biases that you should be really aggressive, so maybe, maybe, um, it's just that Dallas is playing really well in the power play, but then I got a couple of second opinions from people I trust, and they were like, no. This team looks bored when they're on the penalty kill. They're not moving around. They're not being aggressive. Uh, whether that's a system-driven thing, and John Hines is telling them you got to hang back and uh, make sure that you're maintaining the integrity of the box and uh, preventing cross-crease passes and just make sure that you're not making a mistake is something that's being ingrained to the players or if it's just the players are failing to execute on something that he's coaching them to do is beyond me. But... This looked like a coached-in thing because everybody was doing it. Um, the The lack of aggression is startling because Dallas just kind of whipped around the puck, making crisp passes. Nobody's even trying to get into the lanes. Um, and then eventually somebody does decide to commit, but they don't have the support of the other players. It looked like it was just kind of out of the blue and nobody was ready for it. And it would open up a passing lane right across the crease, slam dunk, or... They just get it in close to the net, whatever. Dallas worked them on the penalty kill this uh, game. It was rough to watch. Uh, I, I worry about that. The other big thing on special teams, obviously, was the power play sucked um, yet again. We got a power play goal because of Philip Forsberg being good um, and some nice passing between Arvidsson and Johansson and him, but really it was just Forsberg with a great shot there. Um, and a pretty nice pass by Johansson. The power play has been atrocious for so long. I, I've like forgotten what a good power play looks like. It's insane. Um, just, just so much standing around and waiting for the play to come to the players. Uh, it's, it's genuinely upsetting to watch, especially when it comes to like Arvidsson waiting for the puck to get to him rather than crashing, um, or, just, just a lot of, a lot of, I'm going to stand here. I'm waiting for my shooting opportunity. I'm not going to try and create something or open something up. Uh, it's, it's sort of like what we saw with La Violette, where these players are so committed to remaining within their roles that they don't try to improvise or produce anything with their potential skill sets. They just kind of sit there and do what they're told. Um, and that's not the mark of a good power play. Power plays are where you should be seeing the most creativity out of your team. You should be seeing offensive spark. And the Predators are so rush-driven still, um, even though they're not creating a whole lot of rush offense. Uh, they have so many players that are playing on that top unit that really like to produce off the rush. 
that aren't even being creative on the rush at 5v5, let alone when they're doing it with a power play opportunity. They're struggling with entries. They're struggling with the breakout. Um, the stars were trapping them in their own zone a lot. Is It's just terrible. Um, and John Hines needs to do something about that because you can you can blame some of it plenty of it on player execution and there needs to be more urgency with puck movement and they need to be doing more uh initiative wise to jump up in the play or try and make something happen if the power play is looking stagnant at the same time if your coach uh is telling you to do something and the whole team looks that way uh that's probably pretty telling like if it were one or two players are standing around too much or waiting for the puck to come to them and telegraphing their shots, that's one thing. But it is everybody, um, which gives me great concern about the job that Lambert has been doing. Uh, I've been using the word concern a lot tonight. Um, I'm trying not to say like outright bad because it's pretty early in the season, but it is worrying. It's worrying a lot of these things. Uh, the biggest thing in this game uh was was that the predators got whooped at 5v5 for most of it they came back a little bit better in the third period when Hines swapped Mikhail Granlund and Philip Forsberg so Philip Forsberg was playing with Duchesne and Cunnan uh for part of the third period most of the third period and Granlund was up with Johansson and Arvidsson those two lines seemed to click a little bit better but limited sample size I feel like that was more so just Arvidsson had a lucky play where Granlund got in front for the tip. Granlund, by the way, playing really well, only through two games, but he's looked great, scored a goal, um, so good for him. But yeah, just smoked a 5v5 in expected goals, shot attempts, shots on goal, every meaningful statistic for the first two periods and most of the third period, so... Just, just disheartening stuff from the Predators in this game. Uh, disheartening stuff from the Predators in this series. I now have legitimate concerns that they can make stuff happen against the better teams in the division. Um, I still think that they're clearly better than maybe uh, the Panthers. And then obviously I feel like they should be beating the Blackhawks and the Red Wings whenever they play them. But now I'm a little bit concerned with uh, the Blue Jackets. Is that a repeatable occurrence if now that they've swapped Pierre-Luc Dubois for Patrick Laine, which if you're listening to this and you haven't heard about that, that was a trade that went down. Patrick Laine and Jack Roslevic got traded from Winnipeg to Columbus for Pierre-Luc Dubois and a third round pick. Um, so Columbus is a much more interesting team now because I think Laine adds what they've been lacking a little bit and he's going to play with some effort, it would seem, versus Pierre-Luc Dubois, who just looked like he was sleepwalking out there half the time. Um, I, I worry about their ability to deal with them. I worry about their ability to deal with Tampa, obviously. Um, just this division just got a lot hairier, uh, because of this, this two game stretch. I worry much more about if this is actually a good team or if it's a bad team. Um, because if you, if you have only three offensive players who look like they're doing a good job on a nightly basis, uh, consistently across the board that that goes back to what we saw a lot of last year and the defense has regressed um, which I'll, I'll talk about when I'm talking about previewing this next week's games what do we need to see from some guys stuff like that uh, but that that kind of concludes uh, 
this look back at <laughs> this week's previous games. Uh, now we're going to go into some interviews. We're going to start off with talking to uh, Dave Melton from Second City Hockey. So that'll be coming up in just a second. Now joining us from our sister site, Second City Hockey, is Dave Melton. Uh, Dave, how are you doing today? Doing all right, except for having to watch the Blackhawks this season. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty well. Watching the Blackhawks does sound like a pretty terrible time. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah all, the, all the fans that were wishing horrible things to happen to the Blackhawks like five, six years ago, here they are. Yeah, I uh, can't, can't say that I wasn't among that group, given how you guys bumped us out of the playoffs in the first round every single year. It felt like no love lost between these two teams, which is why it's going to be pretty satisfying to hopefully watch the Predators beat up on the Blackhawks this year. But we'll see. Um, I, have, I have some questions for you about this team. Um, let, let's start off with just talking about the coaching position behind the bench for the Blackhawks, the head coach. What's the general sentiment surrounding Jeremy Clinton's job uh, his security how do people in the organization feel like he's doing uh how do the fans feel like he's doing and then do you think he can manage this roster effectively and will he be the guy to take the blackhawks through this rebuild that they've announced they're doing well there's there's a lot of divergent opinions on him right now i think you, you start with the organization clearly has Colleton clearly has the confidence of the front office because he got a i think a two-year contract extension just before the season started. And that was after um, a kind of like three quarters of a season after he took over for Quenville that were underwhelming. And then uh, the pandemic shortened season that was fairly underwhelming, although they did luck into a playoff spot and beat Edmonton in the qualifying round. So maybe that was a little bit of progress. I think the majority of people that I've talked to in the fan base were not surprised that he got the contract extension because the Blackhawks front office has always been adamant about their faith in Colleton. But I think it doesn't mean that there wasn't still an element of disappointment about it because it just seemed unnecessary. Like I, I don't know what he's accomplished that said he's yes, absolutely worthy of a contract extension, but I also wasn't ready to fire him before the start of the season either. So there's, there's clearly a, a, you know, I, I think the the view from the outside is that there's a lot of question marks about Colleton. I imagine there's still some question marks inside the building too, but they must not be as loud as they are outside the building. And then uh, getting into the other part about whether he's not the coach that can lead this team through the rebuild, your guess is as good as mine. Uh, I, I have significant questions uh, that are still not getting answered. One of the biggest ones in, uh, involves just the way he handles ice time. Like through the first two or three games this year, Dominic Kubalik was skating like a third line forward, and he's a 30 goal scorer last season when they only played 70 games. He's clearly a, uh, I hate the, using the word elite, but he's a top end offensive talent. He should be playing 16, 17, 18 minutes a night, and he was down at 13 uh, for the first few games of the season. So it's little things like that that Colleton does somewhat regularly that leave you scratching your head, and which is why. Uh, I and several other people that I've talked to, uh, including members of uh, the Second City Hockey staff, we all have massive question marks about whether or not Colleton is the guy for this, whatever it is that they're doing right now. 
<laughs> it is it is kind of ambiguous. They basically sent out the letter that the New York Rangers did a couple years back where it's, yeah, we're going to suck. We're going to not be too good for the next couple of years, uh, which Blackhawks fans, I'm sure, weren't thrilled about. I know Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane were not super pleased to hear that, mm-hmm. among other players. But that's totally fair. They're used to winning. Um, the The main thing that interests me is what you talked about with the ice time with Kubelik because uh, – He's, he's clearly an extremely talented player, but the Blackhawks, based upon their roster construction this year, uh, are not attempting to win a lot of games. I think that's evident by the way that they've assembled their goaltending. Uh, the, the thing that's interesting there is you have to balance player development of your younger guys who are hopefully going to be your core pieces in the future, uh, giving them ice time, making sure that they're growing into the players you want them to be with also not having them steal wins out of nowhere and then screwing up potentially your tank, I guess is kind of, is kind of maybe the perspective that the coach has there, but that's not excusable. Um, and I think Colleton especially has had some interesting question marks surrounding him even before the Blackhawks announced that they were no longer going to be trying to compete for a postseason spot uh, just in terms of deployment of players and, the players that he chose to roster rather than some of the other younger guys that they could have potentially put out there. He's an interesting coach for sure. It's kind of why I asked you about him is uh, he's, he's very much an uncertain factor in your franchise's current state. The second thing I want to mention is the Blackhawks are winless right now. As we speak, it is Friday, uh, January the 22nd. Um, so the Blackhawks still have, I believe one game left to play in this week. Uh, but they they play tonight, don't they? They do. They play the Red Wings tonight and then Sunday afternoon. Yeah. So these are two really good opportunities for them to win some games because, I mean, the Red Wings are much better than they were last year, but they're still not some spectacular playoff contender team, at least from what we know right now. What are some ways that the Blackhawks are going to win games? Because they've looked pretty rough through the early going, but they've also played some pretty quality competition. Um they have a really dismal injury situation and they're clearly a rebuilder, but those teams will always find a way to steal a couple of wins here and there against teams that they supposedly should be losing to. And I just want to know, how do you feel like they're going to be countering this Preds team that looks pretty deep, pretty talented, um, and has been playing well against pretty good teams so far? I, I don't know what exactly you think of the Columbus Blue Jackets, but I'd say they're not a terrible opponent. They're just kind of meh. And then they looked great against the Carolina Hurricanes the other night, despite the outcome. So I feel I feel good about the Preds right now. I'm wondering how are the Blackhawks going to beat them? Good question. <laughs> there was a at the start of the year we had this getting to know the Central Division series with all the teams, and one of the questions for the Blackhawks was how could they make the playoffs? And that was my I had the same response there was good question because I, I don't know and I uh, the expectation is not to make the playoffs, so I I'm not concerned about that, but it's like you mentioned, like the Nashville has a deep and talented roster. And I think the Hawks in terms of just overall roster talent are probably looking up at the entire division um, with the way the roster is set up right now, especially when you factor in that their top two centers were essentially ruled out for the season. Well, I shouldn't say ruled out for the season. Doc is probably done for the year. Taves might be, we, we still don't know what exactly is going on with him. It's never been officially confirmed which is simultaneously uh, terrifying. Well, it's it's mainly just terrifying because 
you don't know what's wrong with the captain and how long he's going to be gone. So because of all that, if the Blackhawks steal some games this year, they will most likely have to outscore teams and win a six to five, seven to six shootout on nights when the offensive talents they do have, like the aforementioned Kuba League or Patrick Kane or Dylan Strom or Alex DeBrinkett are all firing on all cylinders. That's probably the only way the Hawks going to win games this year. Uh, Patrick Kane is still a Hall of Fame talent and still playing maybe the best hockey of his career the last two seasons, even though he's now on the wrong side of 30 and hasn't looked so great early on. But I imagine he will have a night where he probably just wins a game by himself. Maybe it'll come against Nashville. Maybe it won't. It's kind of difficult to tell. But the way the hopefully, hopefully not. (laughs) Well, I mean, they're not going to go 0 56, but right now, like a double digit win season seems challenging. Yeah. Uh, Talk to the Detroit Red Wings last year and they'd agree with you. (laughs) They were exactly where you were. Uh, I I totally agree. I feel like just watching their games against the Panthers the other night uh, definitely look like they can score with teams still at least somewhat if the other team isn't playing super well defensively or they get a mech to bad goaltending performance. Uh, that they're going up against. So that's that's something that the Hawks can still obviously take advantage of. They have elite talent scattered around the roster. It's just they're no longer a very deep team, and they they struggle on the back end, and the goaltending is the big issue, I feel like, when you look at the two guys that they have that are going to be rotating in net. Uh, you don't have anyone who's really been an established NHL starter, so that's a little bit concerning there. Uh, but definitely this this is a team that has gotten the better of the Predators a number of times. Uh, maybe not so much recently, but uh, they, they have players who can exploit uh, the weaknesses within the Preds lineup, especially when it comes to just the shooting talent. Uh, Alex DeBrinkett, aforementioned Kubelik is really a great shooter. And then obviously Patrick Kane is Patrick Kane. So those are all three guys that can just pick corners and do absurd stuff with the puck on their stick. Something that keep your eye on if you're a Preds fan watching this team. Lastly, I just want to ask you, is there anybody who's kind of shown up in the first couple of games of the season? I know it's really early and it's a small sample size, but usually there's someone who has looked really good that you maybe didn't expect to look quite as good as they have. Um, It doesn't have to be per se a breakout player. Like it could be Dabrinka is playing really, really well so far or something like that. But just anybody who's really stood out to you on the roster, despite how rough the team has looked in the early going. Yeah, there's a few. I mean, Kubalik had kind of a breakout in the third game of the year. He scored a couple power play goals and kind of, you know, he, he joined the Hawks last season as like a 25-year-old rookie and he scored 30 goals, which there's always that little worry about him being a one-year wonder. And I think, with his play so far this season, he's kind of alleviated that. I think he's going to be okay. Um, one of the young defensemen that they've talked about, so th- there's this group of young defensemen that are all supposed to be showing up at the same time. Uh, Adam Boquist has been here for a season now, and there's still a lot of work to be done with him, and there's he might end up down in the AHL at some point this season because he's having a pretty rough go of it. But he's also only 20 years old trying to play defense in the NHL, which is not an easy task even for a number eight overall pick. Uh, Conversely, I think he was in uh, Ian Mitchell, and I think he was a 2017 second round pick, uh, played three years at the University of Denver, came to the Blackhawks, uh, signed with the Blackhawks in the summer, made his debut this season. 
He is, I believe, 22 years old so, and just a more polished game, partially because of his age, partially because of his three years of really good hockey at Denver. Um, has looked very, very good in his first three NHL games. I mean, doesn't really blow you away with offensive ability, but he's he's a really good skater. He's in really good position. And my favorite thing to watch is whenever he sets up a really nice rush with a beautiful breakout pass out of the zone. Uh, Ian Mitchell breakout passes are going to be one of the few things that get me through this season. Uh, another forward that started to make a little bit of noise is Philip Kurashev, who was, uh, I want to say, a fourth-round pick maybe in 2016, something like that. Don't quote me on that. Uh, the point is that he was a later-round pick, not a first-round guy. And he's uh, spent last season in the AHL, and he's always had this little – there's always been a little bit of buzz around him in the last year or two because it seems like he has a decent amount of offensive talent, but he uh, he got a spot or got a chance to play in the second game of the season. And then uh, in the third game of the season for the Hawks, his second career game, he scored his first career NHL goal. Uh, he looks like he's got really good speed, really good hands, and really good skill set overall. So that's someone that's interesting to watch on the Blackhawks forward side, but uh, going back, I, I have to mention like the goaltending thing. So the, the trio they're trying to use this year is Malcolm Subban, Kevin Lankinen, and Colin Delia. None of those three have ever been a number one goaltender at the NHL level for a long time. Uh, Lankinen didn't start in the NHL at any, didn't have an NHL game until two nights ago. So you're taking the Blackhawks team last year that if you go to any possession metric website that the Hawks gave up more shots, chances, high danger chances, expected goals, whatever. They were near the bottom of the league in every category. The only reason they weren't a total train wreck was because they had Robin Leonard and Corey Crawford, one of whom just retired and probably should be in the Hall of Fame at some point, but that's my very biased opinion. And uh, Leonard is a guy who was a Vezina candidate uh, uh, in his career. So you went from those two goalies, and you have pretty much the same defense, maybe slightly better, and now you have three goalies who have never played really in the NHL before. So now you see the Hawks problem. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty, that's pretty glaring stuff. Like I, uh, I was making my preseason predictions for the division and I saw a lot of people were still putting Detroit as the bottom. And I was like, yeah, uh, if I look at the Blackhawks, they have more talent overall, but their goaltending is significantly worse than anyone else in the league. Uh, which is cause for reasonable concern when you're a pretty poor defensive team. Like they, they remind me a lot of kind of a worse version of the Winnipeg Jets where they have a lot of talented forwards still, but um, the the problem is now they don't have that stud goalie in net who can uh, kind of drag them to a solid or at least mediocre record. Corey Crawford for the record, I would agree with you is a hall of famer and maybe the most underrated goalie of the past decade because those Hawks teams that he uh, won cups with were actually kind of, uh, I don't want to say like underwhelming teams because they were still great teams, but they were not the best defensively. And he had some incredible goaltender play in the postseason in order to take them to those Stanley Cup wins. Uh so I, I would totally agree with you. I don't think that should be as hot a take as it is that Corey Crawford is a Hall of Famer. Uh, it's a shame that his career was kind of cut short because of all of the concussion stuff and the vertigo, but uh, I, I hope he has a wonderful retirement. He seems like a great guy. Um, sad that he 
would crush the predators in the playoffs on occasion, <laughs> but, uh, that's, that's besides the point. Um, well, it's been really good having you on, uh, got a lot of good information for the listeners. Uh, obviously there's, there's more to go look at over at secondcityhockey.com, uh, which you should go check out. Dave, where can people find you and what should they be reading on secondcityhockey.com? Uh, I'm on Twitter a lot. Uh, it's at underscore Dave Melton. Um, I also tweet about some of the high school and local college sports I cover from time to time, uh, mixed in with Hawk stuff. So um, if you don't mind seeing like high school wrestling and gymnastics tweets from time to time, it's a great Twitter account, I hope. Uh, but at, at secondcityhockey.com, we're doing, you know, we, we do all the stuff that all the other SB Nation sites do. I think if my my personal favorite thing, and it's partially because of the name and, and what we do with it. It's called the Number Munchers series, which is a tribute to a computer game from back in the 90s. Um, I, I don't know if anybody in your – the people in your audience will either be totally confused, but there might be one or two people that are like, I remember that game. I played it all the time. It was delightful. Um, and there's a wonderful Photoshop image we use for it. But it also it, it dives into you know possession stats and expected goals, Corsi numbers. Uh, goals above replacement, wins above replacement, all those quote fancy stats. Um, it's I it gives you a chance to hockey nerd out. So if that's your thing and you enjoy vague references to mid '90s computer games played on MS DOS back in the day, uh, that Number Muncher series is entirely for you. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> I, I do I do dig a creative name. Uh, that's pretty cool. Whenever I hear the word Munch, I think of the purple dude from Chuck E. Cheese. Personally, <laughs> that's that's where my brain goes. Uh, but yeah, definitely go check out content from secondcityhockey.com. I know to any Predators fan listening that you don't love the Blackhawks, but there's no better place to get information about this team. You want to learn about the players on the, the roster. You want to learn about the situation for them. They're a central division rival. Stay informed. It's important. It's good as a fan to understand what's going on around you. Uh, and again, no better place to find all of that content than secondcityhockey.com. And be sure to give Dave a follow on Twitter because uh, I I know that when I don't follow people, I miss content that way. So look for him, follow him, look for the stuff he's putting out. That'll, that'll really do it uh, for the Blackhawks segment of this week's show. Uh, we're going to take a quick ad break and then we'll be right back with some stuff about the Tampa Bay Lightning. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, everybody, I hope you had a good time listening to his goods and or services. Let's talk about the Tampa Bay Lightning really quickly. This week, Nashville finally has their first clash with the top team in the Central Division, the Stanley Cup winning Tampa Bay Lightning. These games will likely tell us a lot about the Predators' chances at competing for the divisional crown. Tampa remains a very loaded team with clear championship aspirations, but there are some intricacies to this giant of the league. Here to break down those with a much keener eye than I could ever provide is George Fitzgerald, a senior staff writer for our sister site, Raw Charge. George, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good. That's good to hear, man. I've got a few questions for you today concerning this lightning juggernaut that the Predators are going to be running up against. 
I want to make sure that listeners know all about the interesting little details uh, concerning this team heading into these games. So we appreciate your help uh, coming on here and providing an informed opinion. First, I'd like to talk about the Lightning's key transactions in the offseason, specifically contract extensions. Eric Chernak and Anthony Sorelli were big RFAs, and the Lightning managed to bring them both back on new deals. What have those two looked like this year? And for our listeners who are unfamiliar with them, what are their strengths to their respective games? Well, so far as as we record this, Lightning have only played two games um, because Dallas had to cancel or reschedule a couple games. Uh, so haven't gotten to see a whole lot yet of how they're doing this year. Uh, but, you know, they they are big parts of, of this team, you know, in more secondary roles, not necessarily being the frontline people. Um, you know, Anthony Sorelli, great second line center, really uh, responsible defensively. His offense has really come along uh, last year and the year before, you know, after uh, making his debut. Uh, just really good up and coming center, does everything well, plays plays the right way on both sides of the puck, really responsible. Uh, he's playing this year with Alex Kalorn on his left wing and Tyler Johnson on his right wing. He'll also be seeing a lot of penalty kill time. So just a guy that really just does everything right. And especially over not as much this past playoffs, but uh, the two previous playoffs uh, was really starting to get a lot more attention from the league uh, for his defensive skills. Uh, and so we started seeing some that, you know, kind of uh, pay off in him getting some selkie votes. And it wouldn't be a surprise if over the next two, three, four years, if he was really in that selkie conversation because he does have the defensive prowess you know and you know as uh, with the selkie you really have to be not only a good defensive you know forward but you also have to be a good offensive forward and you almost certainly have to be a you know a center but there's still some really big names you know out there that you know he would have to challenge against to actually win a win a selkie but you know he just brings a lot to the ice uh he also participates on power play mostly the second power play uh typically plays the down low role um there sometimes uh, in front of the net sometimes behind the net he's got a good enough you know pass to be a danger there shot not high end but certainly good enough that um you know he's uh you know generally going to be around a 20 goal you know scorer from the second line uh, Eric Chernyak, um, a little bit different of a defenseman, more of a four-five type of guy, um, though he's you know definitely getting paid like a, you know like like a, that mid mid type of number four. Um, not going to wow you with his, his offensive skills, but he is a big guy. He's like six foot three. I think I think he's listed at two thirty or two thirty-five. Really solidly built defenseman. Plays a very physical game on the back end. Uh, he's mostly been played with Ryan McDonough, or excuse me, paired with Ryan McDonough uh, since he, he came into the league uh, two seasons ago. Um, had a little bit of a down year last year as a sophomore. Um, there was a little bit of a revelation during some of the cup celebrations that he was playing with an injured shoulder. So I don't know the details on that because the team never really came out and said anything about what happened with him, but he had you know, presumably had surgery during the offseason. So definitely hoping for more from him, you know, offensively, because he does, you know, pass the puck pretty well, giving him a pretty good two-way game. He's got a hard shot, not super accurate, and 
you know, mostly going to come from the point, but, you know, he will put in a few goals. But really that biggest thing to watch with him is, is his physicality. He's not afraid to hit. You know, he'll fight on occasion, but he's not someone that is out there seeking fights, you know, all the time. He has had a couple of situations where he's towed the line and even gone across the line, you know, got, you know, got suspended uh, for a hit last season. So that's something that he has to work on. But, you know, still just a really solid, you know, defenseman that pairs really well with Ryan McDonough and allows McDonough to, you know, do more of what what he does uh, being an offensive uh, defenseman uh, there on that second pair behind Hedman and Jan Ruda. Yeah, both of those players really, really good. Um, Chernak, obviously, much more of a depth player, but Sorelli, I, I'm a big Philadelphia Flyers fan, and I probably would have had to consider Sorelli for the number one spot for the Selkie last year. I felt like he honestly got snubbed a little bit with where he ended up placing in the final rankings for the Selkie. He was maybe the league's best defensive forward last year. Definitely a guy to keep an eye on. Both Chernak and Sorelli are only 23 years old. The Lightning are loaded, if you didn't know that already. Next, I'd like to talk about the elephant in the room. The Lightning obviously suffered a big blow with the loss of Nikita Kucherov to injury for the year. How does this team make up for the absence of such an incredible star, and especially on the power play where he's been such a force? So obviously you can't replace a player like Nikita Kucherov. I mean, he is arguably the best winger in the NHL right now. Um, you know, there's really only maybe two or three guys that you could, you know, realistically put into that conversation, you know, with him. Obviously high-end IQ, you know, hockey vision, playmaking. He's got a great shot. Um, and obviously on the power play, you know, he, you know, ha has been scoring a lot, uh, mostly with uh, – should say a lot with his one timer uh, on the right wing side uh, of the power play, which when you then pair with Stamkos on the left wing side, you know, that leaves goalies often in a, in a place where they can't decide which side they have to cover and the same for, for a penalty kill unit. So, you know, having Kucherov there, you know, was, you know, really bringing a lot of, you know, threat, you know, to, to the into the first power play unit, and especially when you also combined in having Hedman at the top and having Point in the slot, but I I don't think that they're really going to suffer that much from the lack of Kucherov. The one of the biggest things uh, that they do lose is having a second guy that can carry the puck into the zone and get those zone entries. So the Lightning will re will be relying a lot more on Braden Point to do that, and he's also shifted over to that right wing spot. Uh, that you know Kucherov you know has occupied on the first unit, and so he's got you know a great pass as well and a great shot with the IQ and the vision to be able to maybe not quite as well as Kucherov perform from that slot, and it's also a little bit of a difference with Kucherov being left-handed and Point being right-handed, so you can't really take those you know one-timers from over there, but he's still got that ability to be able to make the passes. Um, you know, crisply and cleanly and through lanes. And even in the first game, we saw him do that. One of you know, Kucherov's favorite, um, you know, tactics uh, with Stamkos over there had been to fake the one-timer and then pass over the Royal Road all the way across to Stamkos for a one-timer. And that just left, you know, the penalty killers, you know, out of position, left the goalie trying to go post to post, you know, to try and stop Stamkos. And obviously he has one of the most accurate one-timers in the league, 
um, you know, shooting from that spot. And Point was able to do make the same kind of play where he was threatening, but it was more of a just threatening a wrist shot instead of a you know big wind up off of a, a you know a feed from you know from the point, uh, and was able to make that pass across you know to Stamkos for the one timer. So I think that you know with having Point there on that side and having Stamkos on the other side, and then obviously Hedman up top, the Lightning still have a lot of you know offensive weapons on the power play. Uh, and so I don't think that they're going to hurt that much, uh, you know, there on, you know, on the power play as they might have otherwise, if they didn't have, you know, someone to move into that spot that could, you know, you know, more complement what Hedman and Stamkos, you know, does like point does. And even at even strength, you know, you're, you know, if you go back to the playoffs where, you know, where Stamkos only played, you know, with three, three minutes and 12 seconds, um, and, you know, with that, you know, with Stamkos being back now, he's just slid into that spot on the first line on the right wing side with Andre Palat and with Braden Point. And so far hasn't, you know, hasn't missed a beat there. The, the, the That trio's look good. They're a great complement to each other. So I don't think that, you know, the Lightning are, are really going to miss him that much just because of how deep they are. And it'll be interesting to see if he can return for the playoffs and if he does what kind of shuffling in the top six that does, you know, obviously there being, um, you know, few too many, you know, players to keep up in, in, in the top nine and the top six there. So they'll have to move someone out to make room for Kucherov new up top. And it's going to depend on obviously injuries until then. And, you know, how, how the chemistry is going for, you know, for all three of the top, you know, top three lines and see how they're going and where they can fit Kucherov in. Man, <laughs> it's it's so like jaw dropping to hear as a Predators fan. Yeah, we lost arguably a top five player in the league. Um, I don't know anyone who would put Kucherov outside of the top five. And yeah, it's fine. We're just gonna slide Braden Point in for him. We'll we'll be okay. That's ugh, I can barely process the fact that you have so many players who can score like that just a wild feeling for somebody who watches a really defense first team uh, that likes to make its money off of goaltending and grinding out one, two, two, one games. Lastly, we'll wrap up things here with a brief discussion of a pending UFA for the team who's provided some standout play as a middle six forward. The lightning have plenty of youth on the roster, but they also have a fair number of veterans, including Blake Coleman. What makes the former New Jersey Devils such an ideal depth piece? And do you think he'll remain in Tampa long-term? So I think it's interesting what you you just said about having a team that uh, is very defensive, you know, focused. Because I think I think the Lightning don't get quite enough credit for how well they play defensively because they have so much, you know, offensive potential and and offensive skill up front. And you know, Blake Coleman is is one of those those guys and one of those those key pieces uh, to that. You know, he's been playing on the third line with. Barkley Goodrow, who was also acquired at the trade deadline during last season, and they've been centered with you know Yanni Gord, who you know had a bit of a down you know down season, but really found a lot of chemistry with with both of those guys, and a lot of it comes down to you know how all three of those those guys play, and you know and they're you know not old veterans, but they're all you know all three of them are 25, 26, 27 years old, you know so they're right in that sweet spot of you know, being in their prime, but they're also all three very similar players. They're very, 
straight ahead players. Uh, you know, they play, you know, 200 foot game, they get into the corners and, you know, Coleman is, is uh, no exception to that. But I think he had a, an interesting quote during the playoffs where he was like, yeah, I've never gotten to play, you know, F2 or F3 so much. And by that, he was meaning that, you know, normally with the Devils, he had been the first guy in on the four check, uh, you know, and with playing with Gordon, with Barton and Barkley Goodrow, he doesn't have to be the first guy because those two are just as capable of getting in there and, and wreaking havoc, you know, uh, you know, uh, along the boards and trying to get the puck, you know, puck back. Now, as far as Coleman being here long-term, I really can't see it right now with the cap situation. You know, he's a guy that, you know, reasonably is a 35 to 40 point, 40 point scorer. Um, he's also not playing on the power play at all for, you know, for Tampa, um, even though he probably could slide in on the, um, on the second power play unit, but he hasn't been there. Um, and I just think he's going to end up pricing himself out, even with the market being a little bit depressed because of the lower, you know, salary cap, you know, for the next year or two years. Um, I just, don't see the lightning being able to afford, you know, to pay him what he's going to be worth, which I'm going to guess is going to be somewhere in the three and a half to four and a half million range, unless he has, you know, a really big offensive year, you know, this year, kind of hard to see that with him playing third line and not a lot of, of power play time, but he's still going to be a guy that should score 30, 35 points pretty easily from the third line, if not 40 points. And, you know, those guys always have value and just can't, can't really see the lightning being able to make the the kind of room that they need because they're already going to be in a huge, you know, huge cap crunch, you know, again, next, you know, off season. Cause you know, with everything that's happened with Kucherov, they've really just kind of kicked the can down the road. They made a couple of minor moves to, to become cap compliant, but they're going to be going through this same, you know, same issue, you know, next summer and just hard to see, you know, keeping Coleman around as much as I would love to, because He's such a great guy, great character player, plays hard, you know, leaves it all on the ice and just, you know, a guy that, you know, I, I, I think any team would appreciate having him in, in the middle six and just the lightning are just not going to be able to afford him. Yeah. On any other team, I feel like Blake Coleman is a good to great second line center, but again, the lightning loaded up at the deadline last year and He's been excellent for them. He's he's been excellent most of his career, including his time in New Jersey. Even when he was surrounded by some less than stellar players, uh, I if I'm the Preds, honestly, in this upcoming off season, he's in heavy consideration. If you don't love what your center situation is looking like, because I would have put him on my Selkie ballot this past year. He's been that good. Uh, reminds me a lot of Kevin Hayes, honestly, with his puck possession game and. Uh, the way that he he kind of just skates around with possession, uh, really, really good puck protection ability, just something that any team should be wanting. Uh, be sure to look for Blake Coleman if you're watching this Lightning game coming up. Uh, he He's just an incredible player on a team full of incredible players, and he might get a little bit lost in the shuffle occasionally, but trust me, you should be paying attention to him. Well, folks, that about does it for our look at the opposing teams this week. George, thanks so much for joining us. Where can people find you, and what content should they be looking for from you guys over at rawcharge.com? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at geofits4, that's G-E-O-F-I-T-Z, number four. Um, 
for me, I mostly focus on cap issues, contract issues, uh, deep analysis, uh, big research pieces, um, and oftentimes just going into random uh, subjects and, and trivia. Uh, but more generally in Raw Charge, you know, we've obviously we're doing game recaps and previews and just general you know news and just trying to keep up with what's going on. You know, around the NHL and with the Lightning as they look to defend the Stanley Cup this season. Well, thank you for, you know, directing everybody to where they can go find your content. Appreciate it. Everybody go check him out on Twitter. And if you're looking for a brief overview of the different players on this Lightning team that you're going to be looking at, be sure to check out at rawcharge.com. They have season previews and positional overviews and stuff like that. That's always very valuable to read before you're playing a team, especially one that is usually in the Atlantic Conference uh, or the Atlantic Division within the Eastern Conference. So we're not seeing as much of the Lightning. Typically, uh, it's good to get familiar with these new teams. Next up, we'll take a look at how I expect the Predators to fare against the upcoming competition this week that we just discussed. All right, folks, we're going to keep this part short and sweet because this show ran a little bit long with the interviews and then also me rambling on about the stars. Uh, let's let's just go over what I feel like this team is capable of against these two matchups this upcoming week and then what you should be looking for as a viewer. Uh, first, talking about the Blackhawks. Um, both those games are going to be aired on Fox Sports TN, 102.5 The Game. If you want to listen to them on radio, that's true of all of the games this coming week. Uh to all of those who've been screwed over by Sinclair um, and haven't been able to get the games, I'm sorry about that. That really stinks. Uh, our hearts go out to you. But please try to listen in on 102.5 The Game and keep up with the team. Uh, Pete Weber is awesome. <laughs> even even better than the normal broadcasts, if I'm being honest, which isn't a knock on Willie Donich or anything. It's just Pete Weber is fantastic. Uh, but anyways, let's talk about the Blackhawks here and what the Predators should be doing to them. Plain and simple, Preds should beat this team. Preds should beat this team twice. Um, I know that hockey is random and it's a league of parity, blah, blah, blah. The Blackhawks are maybe the second worst team in the NHL. They're in that conversation for the worst team in the NHL, but they whooped up on the Red Wings twice. So I feel like you can't really say that they're worse than the Red Wings at this point. Um, they're definitely a very flawed team. As we talked about, awful goaltending, weak on the back end, not a lot of depth. Um... Nashville should be looking to exploit the fact that they have functional NHLers on their third and fourth lines. Uh, hopefully, we get a bounce back performance from the special teams. I'm not optimistic, um, but worst goalie that you're going up against, bad penalty kill. Um, the Blackhawks are still pretty strong on the power play, so I don't know that our penalty kill is going to see much of a bounce back, but whatever. Um, the, the big concerns that you should have if you're a Predators fan is if they come out of this two-game stretch against the Blackhawks and they've lost one or both of them, uh, that's that's a little bit of something to keep an eye on there because if you're losing to the Blackhawks, um, I know that the Canadiens last year lost to the Red Wings, which was hilarious, um, and the Preds last year were a playoff team and they lost to the Red Wings, but that's that's not good if you're losing to the Blackhawks. Um Pretty, pretty plain and simple there. Uh, should hopefully look to see Roman Yossi getting it going a little bit against the worst team. If he starts scoring, maybe that'll get him into gear. Uh, I didn't mention a lot of it earlier, but he's looked a bit off to start the year. 
I think it's because his hair's grown out too long. He needs to trim that up. He normally looks like a male model and he's looking a little scruffy, uh, which I can dig, but <laughs> maybe maybe he's having a reverse Samson thing going on here and he needs to cut his hair in order to be good at hockey again. He's still very good at hockey, guys, but whatever. Um, the, the other thing is we need somebody besides Philip Forsberg to score goals. Um, I know that Granlund got a tip-in goal when I'm recording this, but this team is scoring two goals per game. That's unacceptable with the amount of offensive firepower that they have, talent-wise at least. Um, maybe we will have to later in the season reckon with the fact that there's a lot of talent on this roster, but it's not ever going to click or perform the way that we want it to. Question whether that's a coaching thing or whatever. It's a little early to talk about that right now, but if the Predators aren't scoring goals against the Blackhawks and they lose some of these games, worry, be worried. Um, it, it's it's a small sample, but it's not as small as a sample as you'd think. We are five games into the season at this point, so uh, given that it's only 56 games, that's around 10%. Um, that That's not an insignificant portion of the year, and if they are sitting at... Uh, <laughs> Barely any wins, only two wins through that stretch after three straight losses. And then let's say they have another two straight losses to the Blackhawks. Be worried. Um, and this this isn't exactly a year where you want to have a good draft pick either, considering that juniors haven't even started up yet and everything's going to look a little different. We might not see any contact in the OHL. That's still pending. I don't know if that'll actually go through or not. Uh, and it's not one of those years where you have a clear-cut top one or two players like it was last year or maybe even the year before that with Hughes and Kako. Um, it's it's not that kind of draft. It's very muddled. And if, if there were any year that it would be pretty bad to get a top three pick, this is the year. Um, so moving on, let's take a look at the Lightning here. I expect the Preds to lose one or both of these games at the minimum. I know that they usually play the Lightning tough, um, but that was under Peter LaViolette. We didn't really see any of that under John Hines, um, and this is a different roster in a lot of respects. If they lose one or both games to the Blackhawks, I have a feeling that we're going to see some lineup shuffling going on. We already saw the line switching going on with Granlund and Forsberg against the Stars, but I'm more talking about uh, you might see some new guys on the fourth line. You might see uh, Ellie Tolvanen in the lineup if they struggle to score against a team as bad as the Blackhawks. You'll just see changes um, because John Hines will be just kind of throwing everything at the wall to see if something will stick. Um, But let's say they come out of the Blackhawks series with two wins or something like that. Cool. I still expect them to get pretty skunked by the Lightning. The Lightning have some of the best underlying numbers in the league. They have so much talent. Um, Good two-way play. Good defensive players. Great offensive players. A Vezina caliber goalie. This team is stacked. They're going to make another deep playoff run, most likely, barring something crazy. Um, So the Preds, the best shot that they have is (laughs) definitely not outscoring them um, because as much as I'd like to think that Nashville is a very deep team and they could maybe potentially do that, let's be realistic here. They're not going to outscore the Tampa Bay Lightning unless they're playing really, really fantastic defense, which is where I kind of can see this team making some improvements. We know Roman Yossi has the talent to be a great player. He's not been that so far this year. He's just been kind of eh. If he kicks it into another gear, this team gets a lot better immediately. Uh, We know that 
Matias Ekholm is capable of being a better player than he's shown us so far. Uh, if Dante Fabro and Yossi start to gel on that top pair, and we see more of Ekholm and Ellis together, and they start to kind of work better together, regain some of that old chemistry that they used to have when they played together most of the time, that's beneficial to the team. I would hope that Matt Benning is back in the lineup at this point, and that we're not seeing more of Lucas Spiza because that might give me a heart attack. But whatever. Um, if, if the Preds play clean and they're not taking a bunch of penalties and they outplay at even strength like they kind of did against the Carolina Hurricanes, they will be competitive in these games at worst. Um, but again, I'm not expecting anything really against the Lightning. They're just a clear cut above everybody else in this division. They're probably going to smack the crap out of us. So watch those games uh, just out of curiosity to see, can the Preds hang with a team this good? Was the Stars stuff just a team that they matched up poorly with or fluky goals or just having an off night or whatever? Um, Because the Blackhawks stuff is not going to be super telling about this team unless they lose both games or one of them in a poor fashion. The Lightning stuff is much more uh, telling about is this a good team? Can this team do anything? Or are they going to be towards the bottom of the division this year? Are they going to struggle against good competition? That kind of thing. Uh, Players to watch, Roman Yossi, just talked about him before, had a slow start to the season. He's not really scoring very much. Um, Hasn't got a goal so far. And if you, if you see a breakout performance from him, don't be shocked against the Blackhawks. And then if that kind of gets his juices flowing a little bit and he's playing well against the Lightning, that'd be great. Uh, my other guy to watch would probably have to be Mikhail Granlund. We've seen him look great over this two-game span, but it's only two games compared to the larger sample size of five for the rest of the team. Uh, is he going to keep up that level of play? If he is a legitimately good second-line, borderline, first-line player, that makes this team a whole lot better, especially if he starts getting into rhythm with Johansson and Arvidsson, if that line stays together. I don't know if John Hines goes back to the Jofa line again. I would hope not because they were kind of struggling. It looked like Forsberg carrying the pair of them again last night, or not last night, tonight as I speak of this. Um, so those are those are kind of the guys to look at. If Granlin keeps up his level of play, be excited. That's another good player for this team. Um, but yeah, pretty dismal week in Predators hockey, if I'm being honest. Uh, that that wraps up this week's show. Sorry for it going a little bit long, but that just means more information for all of you guys. Uh, be sure to check out other content on thefortcheck.com. Uh, subscribe to the podcast channel, wherever you're listening from, so that you don't miss anything that we are putting out. And be sure to go check out work from George and Dave. They both gave great interviews, good answers to questions, it's only right that you would go and follow them and listen to whatever they're putting out podcast-wise, read what they're working on, etc. We talked about all that earlier. Uh, that does it. Have a good week, everybody. Go Preds. Hopefully this week is better.